Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Sarah Norris, joined, as always, by my other co-host, Sarah Gendernalek. Follow us on Twitter at Sarah Norris and at Sgender. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. It is Tuesday, December 22nd, and Sarah, for Christmas this year, MSU women's basketball senior Nia Cloudin got in her bag. Yeah, she had an incredible 50 points um, and unfortunately a loss to Florida Gulf Coast State University today. But she saw she shot 61 percent from the field. She set a single game scoring record for women's basketball. She got a shout out from Sean Resvert and we love to see it and just an incredible performance. Yeah, Sean Rusford even said they could take his jersey out of the rafters if she's going <laughs> to shoot like that, which is A+. Plus. Uh, yeah, so the women's basketball team, I've actually watched them a little bit this year. They're, they've got a few great players, Nia Cloudin. Um, they actually have a freshman from Sweden named Matilda Eck, who's very interesting. And it seems like, you know, having sort of a mixed bag of success, it seems like Susie Merchant might be able to get them maybe in the tournament, maybe in contention in the Big Ten if they can keep progressing. Um, their next game is... December 30th versus Nebraska at 3 p.m. Eastern. Good warm-up for the Peach Bowl. Throw it on. Give the ladies a watch. Yeah, perfect warm-up, I would say. Speaking of our football sons, um, in case you guys have fallen behind, this is actually a recruiting podcast um, started by John and Austin, of course. Um, and there's not a whole lot to update on um, from when the guys last spoke to you, but um, we did unfortunately not get Keontae Goodwin um, after some dramatic events on signing day. He ended up sticking with Kentucky. I can't really blame him. Obviously, we would have loved to have him at Michigan State, but I believe this is a program he was committed to since he was like eight or something like that. So it was definitely a hard choice for him. But I think the longer he drew it out, the less and less chance there was that Michigan State would get him. And that proved to be the case. Yeah. And, and you know, best of luck to him. You know, we don't we don't have any feelings about people choosing programs. I do the dramatics on signing day were like a little much if you're going to commit to the program you've been committed to since April, but whatever. He's like an 18 year old child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's not much you can say beyond that. Um, what I do find exciting is when we are in 
still for players um, like that. And eventually we'll get one. But considering, you know, this is Mel's second year, it's not bad to be in the conversation and potentially flip someone who clearly had um, so much loyalty, loyalty to Kentucky. So you'll love to be in the conversation and we'll love it even more next year when we start getting more recruits like that. Um, another important thing to come out of signing day that we just wanted to touch on is the honorary first signee uh, going to Tate Mir. Um, it was an incredible gesture from the program. I didn't realize that Mel had recently um, seen him play um, and wrote down his name as somebody to remember. Um, and so it was really a really good gesture, important for the community during this time. Um, and you just you love to see it and you love to see genuine connection there. Yeah, really well handled, I thought, by the program, you know, the recorded message, the honorary for signing, you know, reaching out to the, the families, uh, acknowledging the other victims of the Oxford shooting. You know, it was just like really. It seems stupid to say pitch perfect PR, but like <laughs> that's what it was. People handle stuff like this really badly a lot. You know, they don't do it with care and consideration. And so it's good to see that, like, you know, the football communications program handled it really well. And I think it just shows like how ingrained they are in the community. Um, and it wasn't just a gesture. It was somebody that that Mel had had um, his eye on. So awful circumstances, but um, really great to see from everybody involved. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I personally would like to mention from signing day is we do love it that we signed a five star All-American kicker, Jack Stone. Uh, you know, our our tiny ginger prince is going to be heading out after this season. Finally so, leaving Michigan State, which exactly. nobody loves to see that. But. I mean, the man kicked until his leg fell off. Literally fell off. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's good to see another um, – I didn't – I mean, I guess they pick All-American kickers, but I, I saw that on his Twitter profile, and I was like, good for you. Plus, Jack Stone is just like a really strong kicker name. Um, I haven't done much research into him, but if he wears rec specs, then watch out. You know, we're in the next level. Um, another funny thing that happened um, on signing day is a uh, little known coach, Dion Sanders, flipping the number one recruit, Travis Hunter, as a cornerback from Florida State to Jackson State. Um, and if you've seen any footage of Travis at all, you can understand very quickly why he would want to play for somebody like Deion Sanders. And also it just kind of shows the strength of like the brand. And also when you talk about name image likeness and, and kind of evening the playing field a little bit, I think I read somewhere that the athletic department budget for Jackson state is $8 million. Um, and Florida state is a lot more than that. But you give a kid a chance to get his name out there, which you can do at any university that's set up to handle that. And with a coach like Deion Sanders, I should hope that Jackson State is prepared. It sounds like they are. So funny story. Um, it's it's fun to see, you know, some parody. And then you look at Jackson State as an HBCU. And I don't know if you guys have seen any footage of their marching band, but it is incredible. I highly recommend checking that out. So it seems like a fun school. Um, all the best to him. It was just it was a good story out of signing day. Yeah, the sound machine of the South. They are one of those legendary HBCU bands. And I think the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is like the new transfer rules, I think, make it so that kids can take a gamble on a school you know what I mean like if he he's taking it he's taking a little bit of a risk right he's decided that he wants to take a little bit of a risk and if that doesn't pan out for him he can transfer without a lot of um you know 
negative consequences to him. And so, you know, you hope that maybe you do see a little more parity like that, a little bit more. And, and, you know, the HBCUs, there's been a lot of athletes, professional athletes like Chris Paul, trying to give more, like, attention to the HBCUs. So, yeah, it would be cool if the HBCUs could pick up more, you know, high-profile recruits and develop their own little, like, you know, mini rivalry or, you know, just be be more competitive in football. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, super fun. Um, when we last spoke on this pod, um, we were coming off the Purdue loss, right? Um, and so, obviously, we have one more game left, the bowl game, um, Peach Bowl versus Pitt. But, Sarah, how did you feel coming out of this season? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's the end of the year. It's a good time to reflect on on the, the year past. And I think the football season, you know, John and Austin have said it a million times, nobody in their wildest dreams thought that this was a team that could go 10-2 and two this year. I mean, uh, the bullet point is is winning is good. Offense is fun. We like it. <laughs> and I, think, I don't know if you heard, but Michigan State has an explosive <laughs> offense? Yeah, that's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> I think that, you know, first of all, we're going to talk a little bit more about Kenneth Walker. So, like, we're going to put Kenneth aside for a second. I think yeah. that even the growth that you saw from Mel's first year to the second year and the first year being such a poor set of circumstances coming in February 2020, like, what what on earth was the man going to do? Uh, you know, he would have been behind the eight ball if there wasn't a pandemic. Um but the growth that you saw in guys like Peyton Thorne, I mean, Thorne was really quite good by the end of the year, and it's going to be really great to watch him continue to develop. Jaden Reed, you know, guys like Cal Halliday, you know, Halliday was a D'Antonio recruit. I just found out when he won, like, one of the freshman awards that he was a freshman. I thought Cal Halliday was a junior. Like that's I thought so, too. Good Cal Halliday. He looks old, though, is he the thing. Old. <laughs> he plays old, you know. They really, uh, you know, Chuck Brantley, another true freshman, was incredible this year until he got hurt. You know, there there was a lot of non-Kenneth Walker bright spots in in the team, and it's 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 really fun to turn on the game every week and be excited to see your team play. Be excited about certain players. You know, Connor Hayward getting another season was you know and and contributing to the office. We love the big boy. This is a, a this big, is a play big boy podcast. podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, yeah, just reflecting back on it, a 10 and two season with wins against Michigan wins against Penn state, you know, losses to Purdue and Ohio state only. It's really incredible. A New Year's six bowl and the potential to finish in the top 10. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Literally. Literally no one, because like like John Austin said last week, if somebody had predicted this, they would have already retweeted themselves. Like yep, no exactly thought that this was happening. And I so. also I was thinking about it a lot, and like you don't realize how damaged you are until you see fun football again. So it was like you know it wasn't just last year that was bad. It was the past couple of seasons where you could not score. There was zero touchdowns I mean there were a few touchdowns but not very many and so it was like you got down by one score and the question became what were we going to do and that's really tough to tune into every week um 
And so to see the complete turnaround, to see a lot of different weapons, still room for improvement. But, you know, to yeah, I thought maybe six wins this year if if I was feeling really generous. All eligible would have been. Yeah, that was that was about it. And the other thing, too, is like I remember watching the Miami game and going into that, I was just like, okay. Miami may not be the Miami of old, but Miami is a name um, and they had the good quarterback. And you, I was just kind of like, I'm going to use this as my litmus test. And oh, my God, that game was fun. It was so much fun to compete. It was awesome to see like how feisty they were. And it seemed like this year's team really played with an edge that we had been looking for. Like, listen, we're Michigan State fans. We consider ourselves the underdog no matter what circumstance. There is disrespect around every turn. Um, And so you're kind of like tempered your expectations. You're like, how is this going to go wrong? But to sit down and watch a football game like that and really have fun it was like you emerged from the darkness and you're like, oh, my God, Saturdays can be a good time. Um, the other thing I love and I and a lot of people have said it, but like having Mel come in and make it his mission to make Michigan State his program with his culture and have everybody buy in was really fun to see. I mean, we had a lot of mixed metaphors. Um, people were breaking their hands, chopping too much. Um, we were in, we were in the woodshed, but we were also in the deep end, in the deep water. Um, so again, I'm going to need a diagram about how all of that works, but I'm buying in. I love a good metaphor. I love a good name for a student section. And if that's what it takes to get people to buy in again, um, I'm all for it. And also to have a guy who sees Michigan State as a destination and not just a stop is really important. We've seen it, you know, a couple of times in Michigan State's history, or you see it how people talk about the program or whatever. Um, and this is, and also a lot of money helps somebody stay, but like in order to be competitive, you have to pay your staff, so you have to pay your coach. You saw what happened this off season with pretty much any big name. Um, Everybody is moving around and Michigan State did what it had to do to keep him. But knowing that Mel also believes in the school is really fun to see. Yeah, I hope Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly sent Mel an edible arrangements because (laughs) it's very obvious that their agent went in and was like, I want Mel Tucker money or this isn't happening, which. Congratulations, you're now the standard for what to pay. (laughs) Right. And so, like, you know, that's. That's uncomfortable. And but yeah, to, to to talk about the Miami game, which I think I think everybody feels that way about that game. Like, you know, we had played well against like Northwestern, but we're like, are we really good? I've been fooled before. You and I both survived the John L. Smith, the mm-hmm. starting four and oh and losing every other game on the schedule era. So, you know, we we looked at that game, we're like, are we really good? And I think that we came out of it, we were like, yep. Yeah, we we are we are pretty good. And I said this last time I was on the pod, but I think it bears repeating. We were also damaged. We were like, we have never scored points and we will never score points. It is, we are literally never going to score again. Um, You know, I, I texted Sarah this last week. You know, everybody's talking about Justin Herbert and what a great quarterback he is. Let us not forget that Michigan <laughs> State played the Justin Herbert Oregon Ducks in a bowl game, held him to one touchdown and lost. And still lost. They only scored two field goals. So, like, that's where we were. That's where we were. And so to be here now is 
very excited. In year two, again, with the second least talented team that Mel Tucker is ever going to have. The only thing that concerns me, again, because I am a Michigan State fan and I have to see doom on the horizon in order to feel alive, is I, I wonder what happens next year, right? We're going to have expectations. We are going to have the eyes on us. People picked us to be the last, the worst team in all of college football. Like we can't forget that article. I think it was Yahoo that, that published that. So it's going to be a lot different going into next year. But I think what we're going to see is like, imagine what Mel can do when he has all of the access to his guys, cross fingers the whole time. And he's able to conduct things normally and in person and maybe adjust some schemes because he has more talent. Um, the gap lives on the defense, which is also a strange thing to say as a Michigan State fan. Um, historically, especially in the D'Antonio era, is, you know, defense was unstoppable. Um, no fly zone. You know, people looked for us to be a defensive powerhouse. And maybe we're not going to be that. But I would like to see us be less terrifying if I could go out on a limb and say that. Um, so I'm curious what they do there. But I don't think anybody can walk away from this year and not feel excited for the future and excited to compete and see what happens as Mel is able to get more talent and be more active in recruiting. We know we've got the portal guys watching things 24-7 that worked out great for us with Kenny um, and just seeing what else they can find. They clearly have the eyes. They clearly can develop talent, and I think they're eager to do so. So you know, a little bit of worry about not being the underdog anymore, not really surprising anybody, um, but still the potential to do some really exciting things in the upcoming years. The good news is we still play in the Big Ten East. And until Ohio State is in a different division or leaves the conference, Michigan State will end. And for that matter, Michigan, we are always going to be minimum third on the list in the depth chart of the Big Ten East. (laughs) So like we at least still have that going. And we all know the Big Ten is not going to reshuffle for whatever reason, so we will continue to sit there for the rest of eternity. Austin and I should lead the lobbying group for getting Michigan State out of the Big Ten East, because I think we have both said on this podcast that we would absolutely give up the Michigan game. We would go. I would kill to play in the Big Ten West. Just swap us for, like, I don't know, Purdue? Purdue? Yeah, just swap us for, like, Purdue. That's fine. Sure, great. Get them away from us. Keep them away. No Purdue. No Purdue, please, and thank you. You guys can have Iowa. But, yeah, I think as we look to next year, you know, one of the – not one of the biggest questions, the only question is what does this team look like without Kenneth Walker? And, you know, we said before we are going to talk about Kenneth Walker separately, you know, as we look at the end of this season – Kenneth was left off the the Heisman finalist list. Boo. Boo. Make it make sense. You know, like, but it doesn't make sense. It will never make sense. I have not seen anyone provide me with an explanation that that makes any sense at all. The Heisman should just be a quarterback's award, and that's it, because the, the chances that someone who's not a quarterback wins it are almost zero. Um, It, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it yeah, and – And the way that they vote for it, like, clearly people don't watch all of the games. It would be really hard to. But also, if that's – if you're only going to say, okay, the last two games count, then you you got to change it because, yeah, Kenneth played really poorly against Ohio State. He's also been banged up. But I don't believe that 
it should negate everything he did all year. He was an absolute different make difference maker for Michigan State. Um, and so I think it is unfair. He should have at the very least been invited to New York. I don't know why they keep it to only three. That's so silly. Um, but, you know, he was wrong there. But he did clean up otherwise. He was the Doak Walker winner for the best running back in the country. He was the Walter Camp Player of the Year. He was named a first-team All-American by ESPN, CBS, Pro Football Focus, The Athletic, the American Football Coaches Association, the AP, Sporting News, the Football Writers Association of America, and the Walter Camp Foundation. Um, his trophy case is full and well-deserved. I mean, you can't talk about the this year's football season without talking about Kenneth. And wow, were we lucky to have him. You know, we'll never forget the handshake touchdown run um, against Rutger. We'll never forget the five touchdowns by himself versus Michigan. Um, he had an incredible season, and, and it was so neat to see somebody come in you know, as a transfer. And I, that's one thing I think about with Michigan State. Like if we keep tapping into the transfer portals, like how does everybody work together? Well, we've seen it there. Not only was he a transfer coming into Michigan State, but he was a transfer who took over and started and became a star. And in some teams that can, that can break you, right? Like if you have a transfer come in and maybe take minutes from other people. Um, and obviously that's always going to happen. Not everybody can play, but to see him come in and be universally loved as far as I could see in, you know, any of the locker room footage that we got um, from the team, it can work. And it was so fun to be a part of. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to Mel's ability to, like, drill in the culture in a very efficient way. You know, I think just about the Michigan game, the one thing I will always remember from this season is after uh, he scored his fifth touchdown uh, against Michigan, blowing kisses to the student section, like, that image is just, like, burned in my brain because I think that that really expresses why it worked so well because we we were just looking for somebody to love, and Kenneth was right there for us to love, you know, he, and and I think that that, you know, he loved us for loving him. You know, he felt underappreciated at Wake Forest. He came here and every single person, MSU Twitter, MSU fans, MSU social media, MSU media, we just, we just loved him. And I think that that, that thing is really great. And, you know, I also think about the post game where he talked about Mel instilling the importance of the Michigan rivalry in him, you know, and that's just like a microcosm of how, how Mel was able to communicate the culture and and will continue to be able to communicate the culture to people coming in. So, you know, as we all know, our our boy is is going to the draft. He's not playing in the Peach Bowl. Um, First of all, not one of you out there in Spartan land should begrudge him that there. This this is for all intents and purposes, an exhibition game. Yeah, I want to win, of course. Um, But I haven't seen much criticism, really any, um, thankfully, but go get your money. Go get your money. You know, like you did enough for us. And it also kind of gives us a peek into what the running back situation could look like next year, though we do have that Wisconsin transfer. So he yes, he absolutely Kenneth has given us more than enough, more than we ever deserved, more than we will ever deserve. So, you know, this is not a playoff game. 
This is not a game that matters in any meaningful way. I mean, again, yes, we want to win. The guys are going to want to win. Mel is going to want to win. But especially for a running back, you get so much mileage. He was banged up. He's out there with his ankle taped up to his knee, you know. (laughs) (laughs) This does not need to give us four touchdowns in the Peach Bowl. We don't need it. Nope. We're going to do other things. That's correct. Yeah. So speaking of the Peach Bowl. Let's let's talk about it. I'm sure John and Austin will get into this more next week, but we want to talk about the Peach Bowl, so we're going to... We're here today, and we're going to give you our takes. <laughs> so we had to give up our Ken for the Peach Bowl. Pitt also sacrificing their Ken. Uh, no Kenny Pickett in the Peach Bowl. Um, Heisman finalist Kenny Pickett. Uh, and honestly, I think a lot of people's biggest worry about playing Pitt in the Peach Bowl was the, the excellent quarterback play. So yep. he is gone... I- uh, and we don't and have to deal with that. We do not have to deal with that. And they also outlawed his fake slide, which I thought was hilarious. And I think it's also hilarious that they outlawed it. But whatever, that's that's just me. I was reading up on him a little bit um, today just to kind of see, you know, what was going on there. And there were some rumors that he made his decision to sit out after Pitt's offensive coordinator randomly went to Nebraska. Um, it's a move. I don't really understand why you don't wait to do that until after the bowl game, unless there's something else going on there. So I find that to be a little, an interesting piece of adversity in addition to losing your Heisman finalist quarterback is now your offensive coordinator is gone um, too. And so, yeah, a little bit of chaos. I personally, I would not want for my team. Um, And I was reading up on their their backup quarterback, who who they think will likely play, his name is Nick Patty. He it is his third year um, on the team. There's not much to look at. He really hasn't played um, a whole lot. So, but they become a lot more average team when you remove Pickett. So, I'm curious to see what he actually does um, and if our defense gets shredded. Right. Well, and, you know, MSU's defense is constructed in such a way, we've, we've talked about this a million times, we've talked about it after Purdue, it's been said and said and said. We want to force the opposing quarterback to throw it 50 times and win the game, right? We're saying, if your quarterback can do this, if he's the guy, if he's that guy, if your quarterback is that bitch, then, like, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. And, you know, that strategy worked against almost every team Michigan State played this year. If we are saying Kenny Pickett, you've got to be that guy, then I'm worried because I think Kenny Pickett is that guy. Yes. Uh, but if Kenny Pickett is not playing, which he's not, I'm I'm less concerned about Nick Patty being that guy. You know, yep. at least in this game. Not to, you know, I'm not going to not slagging him off for the future. I'm saying coming in, you haven't really played all season. You know, you yep. played on the scout team. You know, you played some backup minutes. You played in the spring game, but doesn't have a lot of snaps under center. But he does have a long time to prepare. So. I'm less worried without, you know, sort of elite level quarterback talent um, under center. I also have to mention that we do have the wild card advantage in that Yang Yang, the panda from the Atlanta Zoo, chose Michigan State um, as the winner. So I'm going to hang the banner. Um, I think that's important to note that Yang Yang is on our side. Um, Our common opponent is Miami, and they lost to them. <laughs> yes, Pitt lost to Miami at home. And they gave up 430 yards 
and three touchdowns to a different quarterback than who Michigan State played. So, yikes. Yeah, and and I watched – I'm not going to sit here in front like I watched any Pitt games this year, but I did watch the highlights of this game. And it seemed like the struggle was um, Miami's athleticism. And we saw that when we played Miami, they have very athletic receivers, and that really gave Pitt problems, which I think is good news for Michigan State. Um, having Jaden Reed and potentially Speedy Naylor. Yeah, allegedly uh, he was practicing. We saw a grainy zoomed-in video footage <laughs> of him holding a football with no cast on his hand. So fingers crossed, ladies and gents. And if he had, like, a hairline fracture, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, he's been out for a pretty substantial amount of time. So so if Michigan State uh, can play Reed and um, Naylor with the addition of Haywood and, uh, you know, all the other weapons they have at their disposal. Trey Mosley, you know. Yeah, Trey Mosley. We've got a lot of guys. Uh, there's somebody else who I'm now forgetting who was good while Naylor was out. And here you go. This is your unresearched fact of the week. Somebody <laughs> me who the hell I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I think Montori, Montori Foster, right? Montori Foster, yes. Yeah, yeah. That is that is our friend. So yeah, yeah, Michigan State has a lot of athleticism and speed at the receiver position. Uh, another thing I noticed watching these highlights is Miami's D line was able to get pressure on Pickett. He was sacked several times throughout the game. Um, so I'm not afraid of their offensive line. I, I think that, you know, our 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 D-line is not top tier, not top tier in the Big Ten, but we played Miami, and I don't think their D-line was top tier either, you know. So yeah. our ability to get pressure on the quarterback, I don't feel um, – it's not like playing Ohio State where I'm like, there's just absolutely – or even Michigan where I'm like, yeah. if, the, if the defense gets home once – it's going to be a freaking miracle. So I am not that concerned with our ability to get pressure on. And if Michigan State's defense is able to get pressure on, everything else the defense works a lot better. The secondary situation becomes a lot more manageable. You know, they're able to stop the run better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a question mark, of course, will be who's going to get the carries at running back. Um, and I think you look at Simmons, who – pretty much played what was it like every third series or so or or the third quarter he was he ended up playing a lot he had like um, one scripted drive yep exactly and and he played great and maybe a healthy Eli Collins um I think we forget about him a lot especially um with how great Kenneth played um everybody else kind of took a back seat so I'm curious what we do there if we mix it up a bit though I mean if you have your, all of your weapons back at receiver, you know, there's less pressure to run every time, um, of course. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think we'll probably see a lot of Simmons. That's just my – given that they were trying to, like, keep him in the rotation, although Collins was hurt. Maybe if Collins wasn't hurt, they would have tried to, like, rotate him in as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I do wager that we see a lot of Simmons. And he was MSU's leading rusher two years ago. Um, we forgot to drop this fact when we were reminiscing about Kenneth Walker, which is that he doubled Michigan State's total rushing touchdowns uh, in his first game. Uh, <laughs> Simmons, though he was MSU's leading rusher in 2020, actually did not have any rushing touchdowns. Um, but that's not a slight on him. I think yeah. he is that's a slight on that mess of a 2020 <laughs> Uh, I think he's very he's more than capable and I think Eli Collins is also very exciting and I hope that he gets some you know it's like split carries would be an ideal situation just to like see just to see how it goes 
see what's out there. So, um, of course, you can't talk about Pitt without talking about uh, Pat Narduzzi. It's the return. Um, I do think it is a different situation entirely than if he were playing a Mark D'Antonio-led um, Michigan State team. So, like, fans, I think, still have some affection towards um, Narduzzi. How could you not, thinking about um, some of the wins we had with him and those monster defenses that – um, he helped create, but less of a tie um, now. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I do feel better, obviously, that they don't um, have Pickett, especially since we're out Walker. Um, I think Michigan State should win, and maybe I'm feeling a bit too cocky, but I just feel like we have the weapons, we have the athletes, um, and you know we've let teams <coughs> score against us before. Um, I just feel like it's an awful lot for a backup to come in and win um, a bowl game at the end of the year when he really hasn't played much at all. And Pitt did only have two losses, I believe. They lost to Miami, and then they also lost to Western somehow um, <laughs> early in the season. But okay. one thing that's important <laughs> to remember about Pitt is that Pitt plays in the ACC. Correct. Yes, is like the number 12 or 11 team in the country, whatever the heck they're ranked. Uh, but they play in the ACC, and the ACC is trash. Like, yes. it's, they don't even have good Clemson or any good teams this year. Pitt is the good team. Pitt is the good team in the ACC. That's what you need to know. You about. do have to consider that. You it's, do it's have important. to bring that into the stuff. Pitt has not beaten anyone as good as Michigan. I don't think Pitt has beaten anyone as good as Penn State. You know, I, I you know. Would, I Pitt that, beat, would Pitt beat Purdue? It's about where's the game being played? <laughs> How which, are they ranked? Which Purdue is showing up? Yes. And is Pitt ranked in this scenario? Because <laughs> all of those are factors. You know, I don't know. You know, would Pitt beat like, I can't even think of another medium team because the big time. Would Pitt beat Wisconsin? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> throw them in the Big Ten West and see what happens. That's in conclusion. That's the thing. If you're like, throw them in the Big Ten West and see what happens, I don't know the Pitt would win the Big Ten West, which is a garbage division. So, garbage. So, not garbage, but, you know, it's a mess. No. Uh, we so can I, always laugh at the Big Ten West, to be true, clear. We can always laugh at the Big Ten West. Some things are inevitable. Um, speaking of inevitable, the one thing I will always say. About the Pitt Panthers. So, as I've said on the podcast before, my whole family went to Penn State. It's a whole thing. We hate Pitt in my household. My mother texted me to tell me she was glad we were paying Pitt, playing Pitt because she's sick of hearing about Pitt. So, the Pitt Panther mascot is one of the worst mascots in college football. It's like somebody put a beauty filter on the Nittany Lion mascot, but it's like... <laughs> When the beauty filter isn't really hitting, you know, when it's like your eyes are kind of wonky and you're not, you know, it's just, it's just a raggedy ass cougar. And it does not, it is, and it wears a pit jersey. It's such a bad mascot. It's embarrassing, honestly. That's, that's important. I mean, it's important that I diss the Pit Panther at any opportunity. I appreciate that. So um, the game is December 30th for whatever reason, um, at 7 p.m. Um, on ESPN. So looking forward to hopefully winning that one. Yes. And so now we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about basketball. 
Our right. favorite sons. Our favorite sons after this break. All right. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back, and it's basketball time. It's basketball time. It is favorite son time. And our favorite son, doing the thing we love the most, no work, and moving up one spot in the uh, in the polls this week up to 11. We'd love to see it. we love to see that they are on their finals break. Um, they haven't played in 11 days, I believe it is. Um, and it seemed to be like a much deserved break, though, with all of the COVID pauses across the country. Um, I'm hoping mostly they just stayed inside where it's safe. They did go to the Pistons game on That's- whatever Sunday, but yes. they we're in a suite and we hope that no one coughed on them. Correct. <laughs> so last time we were on the pod, it was literally immediately after the Kansas lo- the Kansas loss. The game was over. We jumped on to talk about it, and oh boy, were we fired up? We had thoughts. I listened to this podcast back again today, and let me tell you, this is why other Big Ten fans hate Michigan State, like that podcast, because that was a game. Looking back at it, where we hung in with Kansas really well, and. Uh, the favorite sons disappointed us, and we were upset. So what we're going to do now is I've taken some notes uh, about some players from that episode. Sarah has not seen these notes, uh, so I'm going to read them back to Sarah, and uh, we're going to get some reactions. These are my blind reactions to our too aggressive Kansas takes. <laughs> too aggressive Kansas doom takes. All right. Correct. We're going to start with our friend Jade Nakin. Okay. And so I'm also going to say who said these things, so because you need to own our takes. This one is from yeah. you. And Perfect. you said, for a first game, you have to assess people. And yikes is how I felt about that. <laughs> I, first of all, I'd like to apologize um, to the Jaden Aikens fan club and to Jaden himself. But in my defense, it was a freshman playing his first big game. Um, and his growth over the last couple of games has been so fun um, to watch and to see him be unafraid is really exciting. And that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for them to become more comfortable and to get that edge. And I think that there is no shortage of confidence that lives inside Jaden Akins. Um, and now that he's starting to see things come together, you see it on the floor. So do I regret the original take? Yes. But I think it's justified. <laughs> That's kind of the information you had to go with. And I think what's interesting is that confidence you're talking about is like he had that confidence in the game in this game. It just wasn't matching up with the results, you know. Okay. And so that's good. We love to see somebody who's mentally tough, you know, going to hang in there, not hang their head. All right. Correct. Next up, Julius Marble. Uh, John said he had a nice game, largely because he was called upon. And I said, I love Julius Marble. I feel like he should be in the starting lineup. Start him. 
you know, I feel like that's a fair assessment of Julius. He was I, the second leading scorer in this game. In in my defense. People forget that. People forget that. I don't think either of those takes are wrong. Um, I think we're always going to be excited about Marvel minutes. My only concern is when that comes because Marky is in foul trouble um, and we need a body. So that's the only place where I get concerned, usually because he's he's playing in a time of distress, though recently he's played well enough where like you'll just sub him in anyway. Right. Like you're not waiting for a reason. It's just time for him to play. I um I would like to rescind my stardom take. I don't, I don't think he should be in the starting lineup. Um, but I generally feel the same. The the sentiments we express about Julius in the post Kansas uh, take, I I think are generally correct. I think that's what you're saying. Like he plays well. I don't think he yep. should be in the starting lineup. I think that was aggressive because I was mad about some other things that we're going to talk about. Get <laughs> <laughs> so Um. All right. Our friend Max Christie. Cormac. Cormac. Um, we said he looked perfectly capable. He just needs more time. And this was kind of across the board. We all sort of said this in different ways. Yeah. And I think that is still the assessment. I think, you know, we saw a couple of great games. Was it the Thanksgiving tournament where he was scoring really well? Um, he had a couple of high scoring games for him. And now he's kind of faded away as far as producing points goes but what has never left him um is his defense which is really impressive and like he's not afraid to shoot now and I don't believe that he's taking any dumb shots which is important when you're in a little bit of a shooting slump um but I think we are so fortunate to have him like you can just see that raw potential there another important thing to point out about Cormac is he doesn't sweat I need everybody to pay attention to that in the next game it was something that was pointed out to me the other day and now I can't unsee it he legitimately never looks like he's sweating but it doesn't mean he's not trying hard like he is out there bound just endless energy aggressive on defense rarely letting people get an open look um and so I'm really excited about how good he's going to be fun fact about Cormac uh he is in fact Michigan State's fourth highest leading scorer like we're, we're all like Cormac, you gotta do better. You know, we right? want to be a better shooter. He is scoring the fourth most points of anyone on the team. So his three point percentage is not great. And I think yeah. that, you know, he, he, I agree with Sarah that his shot selection is really good. He's just gotta like find that range where it's automatic. And that's just adjustment. So, you know, I think that this, this take about old Max, uh, stands up. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to AJ, point guard play, our, our favorite thing. Um, we said the stock is rising. He played really well. He had a career high 17 points. Uh, he had some turnover issues, uh, some lazy passing, but overall he looks much more comfortable than last year. Um, I find AJ to be a fascinating case study. Um, I, I do think he, he's playing better. Turnovers are, I guess, less of an issue. Like, well, if you look at turnovers uh, versus the Kansas game, anything is less of an issue, though we did have some funky ones um, versus Baylor. Baylor? Right, yeah. Um, Anywho, my thing with AJ is that he always looks like chaos when he plays. And sometimes it's good chaos where, you know, he has one of those crisp passes out of nowhere, um, and it's impressive. And then it can be bad chaos where – 
you're just kind of like, who was that to? And what play did you see in your head? Because nobody else on the floor saw that same thing. So I think that's the the only thing with him um, is he still looks a bit frenetic. And I, I also think about, and I know my Tyson Walker takes were bad in that Kansas pod, but I'm sure you'll enlighten me. I think he and Tyson are very different players, very different energy where Tyson has that cool, calm Cassius demeanor. I'm not calling him Cassius Winston. I'm just saying like the way he plays is similar as far as like his vision, his eye. Um, And AJ is like, woo, basketball. I think it's interesting that you bring up Cash because I was actually going to say what you're describing of AJ is kind of like first two years Cash. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that some of that is just maturity, you know, like Cash Winston was very much like that when he was a freshman and a sophomore, you know, Tom was in his, in his ass all the time. Um, Okay. Tyson Walker. Funny. You should mention him. Uh, John said, this was so funny to me when I listened to it. John said, we were whelmed. It left something (laughs) to be desired. And then I said, for the starting point guard, you're looking for more than two points and a flat one assist to turnover ratio. We weren't wrong. No, we weren't wrong. I think the criticism um, was justified. But thankfully, we are really seeing the type of leader Tyson Walker can be. And I think while he is running the floor well, what's good for him is that he is starting to take his shots too um and not being afraid to step up and carry the team in times when we may be in a scoring drought um and he has given a couple interviews recently where he said like he was trying so hard to learn the team and figure out where guys liked the ball placed and you know he's worried about defense and and all of that which you want out of your point guard that he forgot to shoot or he didn't feel like he should be shooting because there were so many other things that he needed to focus on. And now he's not afraid to take his shot. And so we're starting to see that all around player where hopefully he doesn't have to be our leading scorer, but it is nice to have that asset and have him be unafraid to drive to the basket um, and draw some fouls. Um, and it is so fun to watch him play. And it seems like he's meshing really well with the guys. It's important to note that this game that we're talking about here, these reactions, was literally the first game. We didn't yes. have any tune-ups. Zero. Zero. Like, number one game against this. But at Madison Square Garden, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing about Tyson that I find really interesting is, like, this is going to sound goofy, but whatever. There was, like, a locker room video. I think it was after the Penn State game, and Gabe is out there, like, you know, doing his thing, doing his dancing. But if you watch the video, Tyson is out there, too. You know, like, it seems like Tyson off the court is doing what you're describing on the court. He is stepping into the center ring a little bit. You know, I think this is still kind of at its core, Gabe Brown's team emotionally mm-hmm. uh, and on the court. But I think that Tyson is finding his footing on and off the court. And I think that's going to be crucial to what this team's ceiling is. You know, Tyson, this team, is it too early to say this? Whatever. I'm going to say it anyway. This team can go as far as Tyson Walker can take, though. You know, it, it, that's a Tom Izzo team. It's just so much about point guard play. It's just so much. And he has shown that he has the skills and he has the ability. And I thought that he would be done after this year because I forgot how the new transfer portal works. Ideally, hopefully, we will get another year of Tyson Walker. And, like, that yes. is very exciting. Yes. Agreed. All right. Our pal Markey, you said, I remain a little dubious on Bingham. <laughs> waiting for the next step. 
know we love it when he makes a three, but why are you taking those shots? I stand by my three takes. Um, I am less dubious now. I see um, the difference that has kind of shown up recently, right? Like, I think in Kansas, he was a little bit unhinged, and we were talking about separating him um, and Gabe. Um, and kind of like harnessing that energy um, and making sure that they're able to play, you know, two halves of a basketball game instead of like the first seven to nine minutes. Um, and I think you've seen a lot of that growth recently with with Marky. Um, and he is aggressive. He loves to block a shot. Um, we lead the Big Ten in um, block shots, which which I love. But also what makes me laugh is he's never just like blocking it. It's always like. I am going to send this ball to Grand River. You know, like he is so much energy there and he's really aggressive now, which I appreciate. Um, and I have found like just in observing, like a lot of teams are having a problem matching up with him. He is so lanky, um, allegedly bulked up every year. Um, he's really difficult to guard. And so he is clearly a difference maker for this team. Do you know how many blocks he has this season? I do not. How many does he have? 31. Jeez. He's averaging like close to three blocks a game. It's wild. Yes. Yeah. So, so, uh, I agree. I think, and you said, you said you're waiting for the next step. I think he has taken that step. I think that he is focused. He is properly aggressive, you know, not unhinged aggressive. And he's, yeah. I think one thing you can say about this team, like sort of in total since the Kansas game is that they all play a hell of a lot smarter. You know, like everybody has sort of like gotten their head together. Yep. All right. Tightened up a bit, which is exciting. Uh oh. Now here's what you came for. <laughs> Me with my knives out for Joey Hauser. <laughs> I said. Yeah. Joey Hauser experiment. I'm done. <laughs> which which was one take. But then you said, and then we we had some other more generous points about Joey, right? Where you said yeah. maybe we are more critical of him because he was such a highly touted transfer. Um, and John said Joey Hauser will in certain situations, like when the Wisconsin style offenses come out, that's Joey Hauser time. And I said he can have a role on this team. If he was coming off the bench, I would be less annoyed about the whole thing. So I think that we were expressing there some of what we've come to think about Joseph. Yes. Over the past few weeks. Yeah. I think everything that can be said about Joey Hauser has been said. I think that we saw a better game from him um, recently. And I, you know, I think we've all been frustrated with him and I, I don't regret that. But what John said on the last pod um, really resonated with me in that enough, there's nothing more we can say. Um, and I think that he has the potential to he's never going to be our best player. But that's okay. I think there were years, you know, like last year where, of course, it was Aaron Henry's team. But, like, what else did we have? And there was this desperation where it was like, he's not playing well. What is he doing out there? Why are we continuing to to use him? We were searching for answers. And we thought he was going to be the answer. And he wasn't. But now the nice thing is we have a lot more talent. It doesn't have to be Joey Hauser's team, and it is not Joey Hauser's team, and that's okay. And I'm hoping now that we all can take that in and step back collectively and just appreciate when he has 
a good game. I think he played well versus Minnesota. Yeah. Versus Minnesota. That's right. And that's what you want out of him. That's where our baseline should be. And if he's doing that, let's leave that there. Right. If Joey Hauser is getting 10 points and six, seven rebounds, you know, 10, 12 points, six, seven rebounds a game. And he's not fucking up on defense. Yep. Fine. That is perfectly acceptable to me. And I think that for several weeks, we and the community were like, take him out of the starting lineup. Yeah. I have now accepted on December 21st, the year of our Lord, 2021, that I will not argue with my Hall of Fame college basketball coach about who starts and who doesn't. The other thing I think you can factor in there is he's no longer taking Malik's minutes. They are actually playing very similar as far as um, minutes go. So I think everybody was frustrated when you're looking at somebody on the bench who was producing or at the very least appeared more competent on defense. Because honestly, I think that's where most of us got really frustrated with Joey was it was just like, he wasn't scrapping. He wasn't diving for the loose ball. He wasn't in your face trying to rebound. He wasn't really doing much. And I can only imagine when you're not playing well, like how difficult it is to to keep your foot on the gas and be aggressive like that. So now that he and Malik are playing very similar as far as, you know, timing goes, like in the Minnesota game, um, Joey played 25 minutes, Malik played 22 minutes, um, and Malik had 15 points and nine rebounds, and Joey, you know, had 10 and seven. They had a very even game. And so now that you're not losing as much with Joey on the floor, hopefully that that continues – then it's okay. Um, like you said, I'm not going to argue with Izzo. He knows what he's doing. He has earned that from us enough, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that this is what we're talking about here. I think we have reset our expectations for Joey. And I think Joey has reset his expectations yes. for Joey. Right? Yes. Like, that is the most important thing. Is that, and I think that he plays better now that he, that first of all, there's some lift from the other players, like you mentioned. Yep. Second of all, you know, whatever's going on with the coaching, they understand that, like, look, Joey. It's not you, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not, it's not you. You're not the guy. And, like, that's fine. He, Him as a role player, fine. Tom wants to start him, fine. Far be yeah. it for me to argue with him. You know, we love Malik in this house, but, you know. We will stand, Malik. We do. We have, and we will continue to stand. Correct. But if Tom wants to bring him off the bench, and you can see why, he brings an energy. He brings yeah. an ability. He brings – he's hard to prepare for offensively, and he always has been because you're like, I don't know. Is he going to dunk it? Is he going to shoot a three? Yep. Who can say? You know, it's – he, by the way, is the third leading scorer on the team, our friend Malik. He oh. has had a very good couple of games, which His I love. three-point shooting percentage is 62. Wow. Which is insane. Yes. Um. Okay, so just a couple more guys to talk about. Uh, Gabe? We barely discussed Gabe. It took us 20 minutes of talking about this game to this game to even mention Gabe Brown. Yeah. Uh, but when we did talk about him, you said, I want more from him as a senior. He should not be an afterthought in a game like this. I stand by that. Um, and I will always look to him for, you know, he's a he's a senior captain. Um, I will always look to him to be a presence. And I think we've, we've seen him settle down a little bit recently. He had a really good game um, against Minnesota, less good against Penn state. Um, But I think what's nice is like, I think at that point in the season, the first game, I was worried that if he wasn't scoring, 
where would we find offense? Um, Malik was, is, was very spotty. You know, he would score 25 points in a game and then score two the next game. So it was like, and we knew Joey wasn't scoring. Um, I knew Max Christie was good, but like, yeah, Tyson wasn't scoring. So it became, it felt very distressing to me when he wasn't scoring because it was like, what do we do now? But as you start to spread things out a little bit, you know, in the Minnesota game, we had one, two, three, four guys in double figures. And that's, that's great. I love an even offense um, like that. So it puts less pressure on Gabe, but still I am going to look for him in leadership in crunch time. Um, you know, when we get to March, it is important to have seniors and juniors who have been there before. Um, he puts himself in a position to be our emotional leader. He is going to be more outward. Whereas I see somebody, you know, obviously Malik is a polar opposite. He is very quiet. Um, and he, they did a video together at the beginning of the year. If you haven't seen it, it is hilarious to hear Malik talk about Gabe. Like the first time they interacted, he was like, this guy was everywhere. He's kind of a spaz. I didn't know what to do. They're very different people, but you're always going to look for that pickup from Gabe. You're always going to look for him to be like in your face, celebrating a dunk or being there for those electric moments. Um, so I'll still want that from him. Um, but it's nice to know he is not the only weapon that we have. He's our leading scorer, and I will say he played great in the battle for Atlantis, particularly yep. the Yukon game. Mm-hmm. And he did the thing that you want him to do, which is he made yep. shots in big moments. He shot us out of a, oh, were we down like six, seven in that game? Yeah. He mm-hmm. came in and he shot us out of that situation. He's played, I think, he and Bingham, after this Kansas game, really, you know, tightened it up. I think yep. that from the two of them, they're they're doing more of what we would expect from them now. Yep. The only other thing I want to mention is that when we talk about Kansas, we didn't discuss Malik at all. We said a yeah. bunch about him here. He only had three points and three boards against Kansas. It was yeah. really not a whole hell of a lot. I don't know how much he played because I didn't remember to look at the minutes on the box score. But he I think, played 21 minutes. Okay, right. so decent. Yeah, and he he didn't really do a whole hell of a lot. And I think that no, he did not. Just the only thing to mention about Malik is we just want him to be more consistent. Again, I say he's the third leading scorer. He's shooting some ridiculous percentage from three, but it's like he shoots a hundred percent in one game and zero percent the next game that averages out to 50%. Like <laughs> we need, we need she's doing a, math folks. She's doing math. I can't divide a hundred by two. Yes. Um, <laughs> another thing I thought was interesting is we were like, Oh, it'll be interesting to see over the next you know month and a half. Uh, if the starting lineup changes, guess what? It has. You know. <laughs> Once again, we are asking you to listen to your Hall of Fame coach um, and let him do what he do. Um, and as it turns out, it is working. So I think one thing just to put a button on this particular game is that part of the reason we were so rung up is because your two leading scorers for Michigan State in this game were A.J. Hogarth and Julius Marple. Mm-hmm. And we're looking around and we're saying, if those are our two leading scorers, we are in trouble. Right. So more games have happened. Our leading scorers are now Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham, which I feel like is an area where we are much more comfortable. I I will also say the more balanced scoring and, you know, not having AJ and Julius be our leading scorers is important. What's also important is this team is so good defensively. And to me, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but our first few games were such a mess with 37 turnovers a game. I'm sure that's an accurate number that it was hard to look at their potential on defense. And they are 
they're really fun to watch on the defensive end. You're not letting people get many easy shots. That was my concern um, in the Minnesota game is they are Minnesota is a very talented three point shooting team. And I was worried that they that's what would happen. And towards the end, you know, they started hitting. They weren't going to miss forever. They are all very good shooters. Um, but you know, Izzo said in his postgame interview that like that was our plan was to shut them down on three and then see what else happened. And their perimeter defense is going to save them um, a lot and hopefully avoid a lot of those scenarios where we have the random dude um, lighting us up for 52 points. And they're just so much fun to watch defensively. And that's it's a real team effort and seeing them scrapping and play Michigan State basketball. Again, it sounds like a novel thing to say, but like it's kind of like what we said about football. We were so damaged. We were not good last year. It was hard to watch that team a lot of the time. And so to see them to get back to what successful Michigan State teams have done um, is really fun to watch. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that you're right. Five guys in double figures or like close to that is sort of like the the peak experience for the Michigan State offense. And I saw they are now, they're like Kempom numbers are starting to come out. They're like yeah. number one in Kempom because – they don't have any bad losses so far. Yeah. So I think that that speaks to like how good their defense is. Um, I always feel this way about losing in the Champions Ch- Champions Classic. Would you take another run at Kansas like today? Um, like if they played again, Michigan State would have yes. a shot. Actually, I would. The team that I would not take another run at is Baylor. No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> I don't. But, I don't want Baylor, but I would take a run at Kansas. Yes, and we played Baylor when we were starting to play better. But this game, this very first game when we were all over the place, they hung in there for two-thirds, three-quarters of that game, and I I would, I want another shot at stupid Kansas. Um, <laughs> okay. You but, know my rule, never pick Kansas. Never pick Kansas. So now we are coming to the end of this 11-day break. And up next on the schedule is our our friends, our old old reliable friends, uh, the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. Is that what they are? Please yes, help. the Gri- Golden Grizzlies. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they are playing tonight because it's Tuesday now when you're listening to this. Um. Mm-hmm. In Detroit at the at the Pistons Arena. Um. They're also coming off a long break. They haven't played since December seventh. Uh, their last game was a 73 to 72 road loss to Bowling Green. Sure. Um, they've also lost this season to Alabama and West Virginia. Um, last year, when these teams met, there were 200 total points scored in this game. Michigan State 109 to Oakland 91. Also, just peeking at this box score from last year, Michigan State was ranked fourth at the time this game took place, which yikes, we were undefeated. <laughs> This is after we had beaten Duke before we knew yeah. that it was also kind of bad. So, like, yeah, we were, like, probably riding high when this game. I don't have any recollection of this game at all. but uh, I vaguely remember it, but we play them every year. So, like, I could be thinking about. Could be any game. Anything. Um, because we lead this series 19 to 0. Um, knock on wood. That that <laughs> I was going to say, that's actually uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, you know I hate a streak. Um I don't know how to feel. It seems like this this isn't um, Greg Campy's best team, but they're seven and three. They're two and zero oh in the Horizon League. Um, we talked about this before jumping on here. It the teams that they're losing to are the better 
teams. You know, Alabama is randomly good in basketball this year, which seems unfair. Um, and, you know, they got annihilated by them. So I see, you know, Michigan State is obviously a very tough test for them. They do have some weapons, though, um, specifically Jamal Kane, a transfer from Marquette. And um, he was on the team when Joey was there. So a little reunion there. Um, he is averaging about 21 points a game and 10 rebounds. Um, so clearly he is going to be a difference maker for them. Um, the other thing that concerns me about Oakland is a According to Tom Izzo, they play a funky zone defense, which I hate. I hate all zone defenses. I'm not going to talk about why, but you know why. Um, and so anytime your coach is mentioning how weird their zone defense is, I feel a little nervous. Yeah. And last year in this game, um, you know, Sarah mentioned guys lighting Michigan State up, just lighting them up. Um, Oakland had a guy named Rashad Williams who dropped eight threes and 36 points on Michigan State in this game last year. He is no longer on the team. He has transferred to the St. Louis Billikens, so we do not have to worry about him this year. Um, Oakland is not a great three-point shooting team. Kane only shoots about 27% from three. Uh, looking at their stats, they don't really – their best three-point shooter, highest percentage, only plays about, like, 12 points a game, 12 minutes a game. So – they don't really have um, a lot of three-point shooting weapons. Uh, but they love to take a three, which is an interesting, like, it's it's interesting position. Um, yeah, so, and, and Jamal Cain, just I don't know what Sarah said, he, when he was at Marquette last year, he played about 30 minutes a game and was only averaging about 10 points a game. So, you know, he is doing much better for um, – Oakland this year, but he in his like, you know, power five past has, has not been super effective. Um, some other guys to watch on Oakland, they've got uh, Micah Parrish, who the Oakland website says he's a freshman, but he played in this game last year, so he's a sophomore. Um, he's actually like a player on the come up. He's averaging about eight points a game, but in the past few games for them, he's had like 15, 14, 13. So obviously his role is increasing. And then um, their assist leader is Jalen Moore. He had 26 in this game last year, but he's also not percentage-wise a great three-point shooter. Yeah, and he averages a, almost seven assists a game. Um, so clearly a, a talented point guard. Um, but yeah, I just I keep looking at the fact that they love to shoot a three, but they don't make very many. So. No. A um, couple of other guys worth noting on the roster, uh, their blocks leader, Trey Townsend, also played in this game last year. He's a sophomore, averages like close to double figures for them. Uh, interesting thing is that he is from Oxford, Michigan, and went to Oxford High School. You know, MSU's been wearing the Oxford Strong patches on their warm-ups. You have to think maybe they'll do something um, before the game or at halftime yeah. tomorrow, yep. especially because the game's in Detroit. Um, yep. And then another name you might recognize, our friend Braden Burke. Yeah. Uh, former Robert Robert Morris transfer to Michigan State. He played two years at Michigan State. I didn't realize he played at Central last year, Central Michigan. And yeah. now he's with Oakland. Still not getting a lot of playing time, but <laughs> just if you're trying to round up the game or looking at the roster and you're like, is that that Bradenburg? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, so Oakland, they're not a great three-point shooting team like we said a bunch. They also don't have a ton of size. Parrish is 6'5". I think Townsend is 6'6". Six, six. So you feel like teams that are going to give Michigan State a hard time are teams with a really dominant presence in the paint, a great center. 
a, you know, Trace Jackson Davis situation. Um, or the guy from Purdue whose name I can never remember. Travion uh, Williams? Him? Travion Williams. Like, those those are teams that I'm afraid of, right? Yes. Because of their, well, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> because of their center, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like that's the situation here. It feels like Michigan State is going to have a size advantage. Um, it also doesn't feel like this is a team that's going to kill us from three. Again, please knock on wood. Uh, yeah. you know, when we feel that, sometimes it goes the wrong way. Um, <laughs> so hopefully Michigan State takes advantage of that. To me, this feels like a great Joey Hauser game. Yeah. He had a double-double in this game last year. This feels like Joey Hauser time. This, <laughs> this feels like 10 points and 10 rebounds for our friend Joseph. I will take that. Um, yeah, I agree. It should be um, winnable for Michigan State unless for some reason they get bogged down by the zone. Um, but I just haven't seen that that type of play from them yet this year. So um, I am hoping that with our size advantage um, that that we'll be able to win easily. It would be nice. They're also coming back from a long break, which yep. I don't know how that's going to go, but I think they're going to be excited about playing. Yeah. What Hopefully. is the name of the new Pistons Arena? Uh, Little Caesars. Little Caesars. I just keep wanting to say the Palace, and I know that that's <laughs> not right. So. No, it's not correct. Um, and I was looking up a couple of things for this game, and then, of course, it led me to another game we played in Little Caesars Arena. But uh, tis the season to be jolly, so we're not going to talk about another zone situation that we ran into. <laughs> God. <laughs> help it. I know. This is where my brain goes. It's terrible it's We've we've been wronged in a lot of ways. Um, So, yeah, Oakland up next tonight, hopefully, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, And I, for one, am excited to have basketball, Michigan State basketball, back. I am ready for it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take another quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about other college basketball stuff and then uh, also answer some Twitter questions. So three, two, one. All right, and we're back. We're uh, back. Hey, Sarah. Um, I know we were talking about how we've been wronged. Something I'd like to discuss about in the wronged category is Michigan State being picked sixth um, in the Big Ten for basketball this year. Are you over that yet? I will never. I was mad about this the day it happened, and I am still mad about it. And it's not like this is like national media. This is Big Ten media who yep. picked Michigan State to finish sixth. And, like, we get no credit for being Michigan State. Zero. None. And I'm mad. And I'm still mad. Um, so let's take a look at the teams quickly who were ranked higher than Michigan State. Just, like, zip around the Big Ten. Uh, first, yeah. Maryland ranked fifth nope. in this poll. Wrong. Trash. <laughs> Garbage. Trash. Yeah. Goodbye. Fired your coach after yeah. ten games, which yeah. is sus as hell. <laughs> well, he allegedly retired, but... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> 10 games into the season, sure. Right. Uh, next we've got Illinois. Which? Long pause. <laughs> I watch um, an alarming number of Illinois games, which is fine. Um, so I think with them, anytime you have a player like Kofi, um, who, you know, 
put his name in the draft and then left um, and was suspended for the first couple of games for selling memorabilia, which is bogus, but he's back now. Um, I think you can really see a difference in his body. We, we talk about it a lot. He's a slim thick now. Um, he looks like he's, he's definitely getting NBA ready. They've had some injuries um, and had a lot of inconsistent play so far, but there's a lot of talent there. It's just a matter of putting it all together. So I guess, yeah, I understand it. Um, but they had a lot of changes in the off season too. So I think people just didn't know what to do with us. Um, and so then this became a reflection. Um, another team ranked ab- above us is Ohio State. And they're a team that remains confusing to me. Like they upset Duke, um, which you love to see. Um, and they are talented, but like, I guess I never think about them as a basketball team, right? Ohio State every freaking year in the Big Ten. I mean, with some notable exceptions, like when they had Evan Turner or whatever, but they're always just kind of like better than average. Yeah. And they sort of like sneak in and then it's the last couple weeks of the season. You're like, Ohio State could win the Big Ten. You're like, what? And they will always, they will go as EJ Liddell goes. Um, And so if he's playing well, they're pretty hard to beat. And I think, I guess that's what people were banking this preseason ranking on. Um, Above them was Michigan. And I'd like to open with a question on what is happening in Ann Arbor. Um, I am wondering, you know, I... I was, I've watched a couple, a couple of their games. First, the UNC game, which they lost, I think, by 21 points. Um, yes. But they delicately, they got whooped. And UNC is not good. Um, I think Michigan is the, you know, is suffering from the time honored tradition of announcing a contract extension and then followed that by a loss. But beyond that, they had, you know, the bad combination of turnover issues, spotty point guard play and bad shooting and you're not going to win many games when all of those things um, are hurting you at the same time they're also waiting for Hunter Dickinson um, to really take over and they haven't really gotten him as involved as he should be when he's such a cog for that team Um, Musa Diabate their very talented freshman was out sick for a while and they were clearly hampered by that they really didn't play well when he wasn't playing so you know, I think it was like a lot of preseason hype um, and then they struggled early. But we've seen that happen to Michigan State before. So I understand it. Um, it was just, you know, interesting to see how quickly they fell apart um, at the beginning. And, and so and the interesting thing, I think, about the Big Ten season or schedule this year is that Michigan and Michigan State play each other twice in January. It seems like normally um, we do one kind of early and then one um, right before the Big Ten tournament. But this year we play our first game against them on January 8th. So, you know, we may still be getting them while they're trying to figure things out. I'm confident we can beat them, you know, regardless of if they're trying to figure it out or they're hyped up. Um, But that's kind of what's going on over there. A little bit of a mess, but something they can figure out, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of well, and to Michigan's credit, let's not let's not forget that they did win the Big Ten last year. Yep. Right. So sure. Um, the problem with this ranking that I had is like they didn't return. They returned yeah. Dickinson, yep. and they have the two highly talented freshmen. Sarah mentioned DBT, and then they also have Caleb Halston, yep. two five-star freshmen. Um, you know, so you think okay, there's some talent there, but. Uh, 
Am I going to slander John Howard on this podcast? Yes. Um, <laughs> the problem is you have a team that is entirely new in some ways. Your best player is no longer there. You know, the livers is gone. So, you know, how does that offense work? And, and Juan Howard just simply is not the kind of coach who deploys an offensive scheme to make the most of the pieces he has. Right. And so, like, I think that's what you're saying is they've got to get Dickinson more involved. You know, they, they've got to get those pieces to come together. Yep. And this is not the NBA where you're just kind of like, throw them the ball and let them figure it out, which is yeah. how coaching in the NBA works a lot of the time. You're not out there like deploying a scheme and running plays. And and especially in the Big Ten, especially in a conference that has such great coaches, such high levels of center play, such high levels of guard play, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time unless you figure out how to cope with that. And like this Michigan team is not a vintage John Calipari Kentucky team or a Coach yeah. K Duke team where it's just or even a UNC team, right? Where it's just like we can put three NBA players on the floor every night. And that's not to say there aren't three NBA players on the team. I don't know, but it's not like, it's not that kind of situation where the talent level is just so high that they don't have to do anything else. So, yeah. And then pick to win the big 10 was of course, Purdue. Um, I was just looking and thankfully we do not play them until the end of February. Um, I don't think there are, and we only play them once. So good for us. Um, I don't think there's anybody that can argue against picking Purdue, though it was funny that they lost their only game ranked number one to Rutger. Um, I will laugh at that for the rest of time. Um, they are very talented. Be also at home for Michigan State. Okay. Because I hate Mackie. <laughs> Correct. Um, but like we mentioned before, they are incredibly talented. They have um, Travion Williams and Zach Eady. Zach Eady is terrifying. Like, I don't even understand how he's yes. moving around out there. Like, he is so tall and he's so skinny um, and he's very good. So I am not looking forward to playing them. And they are obviously the best team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, agreed. And I think the one thing that Purdue unfortunately has, uh, they have Zach Eady, they have Travion Williams. Matt Painter is still there. Oh. That's true. Again, look, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I will slander your coach on this podcast. <laughs> Turns out that's what I do. Um, so yeah, teams not on this list. Minnesota. Yeah. Good Min question mark. Minnesota is fascinating. Um, I think we played them at the exact right time where they really haven't settled into their group, but like we remain their only loss. They went to Michigan and beat them um, by 10. So I think that they are such an perimeter shooting team that and our defense was so stifling on that day that like they couldn't, they are not going to beat you if they're not hitting those shots. Um, and not everybody has the defense that we do. So I'm really curious to see how things end up for them. I'm looking at who they've played and like not a ton of big names so far, but still going and winning on the road at Michigan is a big win. Um, they've really kind of had a cupcake schedule. So it could be a situation where they just haven't played anybody yet. And we will see in January um, when they resume Big Ten play, like they play Illinois um, on the 2nd of January. So you'll see pretty quickly what they do. And then they play us again on the 12th. So I'm curious um, how we look at home against them. But so far, they're surprisingly good. But 
I'm going to remain a little bit skeptical until they get into Big Ten play consistently and um, we see how they match up. And they really only play six guys. I think that's the thing yeah. about them is like, can they play six guys and still compete in the Big Ten in February? I think that's the real question. Or can yeah. they start to play some of these other guys more? Because Jamison Battle, I'm just looking at it now, is averaging almost 38 minutes a game. Peyton Willis is averaging almost 36 minutes a game. Stevens is about 35, and then Luke Lowe is about 34. So they've got four guys that they are really running ragged out yeah. there. <laughs> and eventually that's going to come back to bite you. My guess is towards the end of January. If I if I were to place a bet on it, that's what I would say. So not a lot of games uh, going on Christmas week. A couple things around the Big Ten and other places. Uh, Purdue played Butler. I had this initially on my notes as a potential buttling. Turns out not Butler's a bad, I think. Butler's not good, and Purdue kicked their butt. Yeah, um, we've got to talk about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Also, Nebraska last night, or Sunday night, lost to Kansas State. Nebraska is an unserious program. <laughs> they are just, ugh. <laughs> They're just, they're just, they're just, what, there's a joke, you know, like, I don't. I just keep thinking about Fred Hoiberg just, like, coming from the NBA and going to Nebraska. Like, what do you make of that in your world, you know? Um, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're just so, yeah, they're very strange. I also think yeah. about Fred Hoiberg being patient zero at the 2020 oh, gosh. Uh, Big Ten tournament where right? he, like, almost died courtside. I mean. Yeah. Ooh, no, thank you. We're all children. Then. Yes. Speaking so of COVID. Uh, Ohio State was supposed to play Kentucky this weekend. That game got postponed. Uh, Ohio State is on pause due to COVID, as is UCLA. Um, there are a lot of teams on a COVID pause, including Memphis. Um, there was a lot of hullabaloo this weekend about Memphis and Tennessee playing each other. Um, and it seems like there's a lot of beef there. The schools don't like each other. The athletic departments don't like each yeah. other. Um, Rick Barnes and Penny Hardaway have traded um, you know, barbs at each other about, you know, the athletes being vaccinated and contact tracing and when they knew they couldn't play. And, you know, of course, from the fans, it's you're scared of us and and whatever the case may be. Memphis has been fascinating this year. COVID aside, um, you bring in all of that talent, including Imani Bates, who I think has done his his best to try and like quell the situation by pulling himself out of the starting lineup and that sort of thing. But like, it has not gone well. Um, and it doesn't seem like they love playing together. Um, and I'm sure everybody's heard like different rumors about Imani, um, you know, coming out of high school and all of those things. I don't know that they can figure it out. Cause I don't know that they feel a whole lot of, um, eagerness to try. It is not easy to sit down and figure out why all these stars can't play together, but that seems to be where they are. So they're kind of a disaster. And what's worse than their play is the floor that they play on. Um, they should be banned. Um, that court is hideous and I want it gone. Well, to tie these two threads together, you know, you have Penny Hardaway coming out at the beginning of the season and saying 90% of his team is vaccinated. Turns out there are six people on that team vaccinated and it's like, yeah. something's not clicking there. Right. Yeah. Something's not something's not there. And it's probably the worst time for Memphis to go on COVID pause because they were really stinking. And then they came and they, they yep. beat Alabama by a ton, you know, huge win. Everybody yep. was like, is Memphis going to figure it out? <laughs> Pump the brakes. Yep. Um, another game with the Michigan State tie. UConn lost to Providence hmm. um, this past weekend. Probably not great for Michigan State because we want UConn to, to win. 
Providence is going to be the team this year that like tricks me into picking them <laughs> like be in the sweet 16 and then they're going to lose. Uh, you always get tricked by somebody. It might as well be Providence, you know, it's, it's usually or like, somebody like Villanova, right? Villanova. I love like a team that plays in Massachusetts or Connecticut <laughs> or like on the East coast that I don't know anything Who about. That I don't know. Yes. Anything. Um, so yeah. And, and then another, uh, just what else is going on with the, this week? It's just a bunch of Big Ten garbage games. Um, it's so funny if you look at the scores for this or the schedule for this week. It's just all t- schools that seem fake, like they're from an episode of The Simpsons. Um, Incarnate Word. Purdue is playing Incarnate Word, I think, as we speak right now, live live on pod. Um, we've also got UT Martin, Morgan State, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Michigan State plays High Point. Uh, later this week, um, which seems like a fake school. And I know Quinnipiac is real, but like, seems <laughs> like questions, you know, <laughs> <laughs> has anybody actually ever seen Quinnipiac? Because I have, I, it just feels fake to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Big Ten play reopens on January 2nd. Um, very exciting. That's what, Sunday? I think it's a Sunday. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good games that day. Michigan State is at Northwestern, probably not going to be one of them, but, um, there are some other interesting matchups in that weekend. And then we're in Big Ten play in earnest. It's all Big Ten all the time. It's all happening. <laughs> all right. Speaking of the holidays, we are going to wrap up with some questions from Twitter. We got some good ones. Sarah, do you want to kick it off with a couple? Just These just tickled us. We just like them. Yes, I'm going to start with a hard-hitting one. Um, and this comes from Mark Vanderhoff on Twitter. And he asks, why is leaving the S off Rutger always, always hilarious? And I can't even ask the question without laughing. Um, it is funny. It will never not be funny. I have a really hard time saying Rutger. I think I go too hard on the T, um, but I regret nothing. And they will always be Rutger to me. Yeah, I, we don't grant them the S, even though they beat us in football. Like, you know. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> um, I have another one real time. How could anyone, this comes from Zach Brooks um, on Twitter, and he said, how could anyone not love Jaden Akins? And that's an important question. It's true. He's just, he, you know, we talked about him, about him a lot earlier, but, you know, he's just having fun. I think that he is um, next up for, like, Michigan State Twitter fave. You know, yeah. he, he's just, everybody loves him. And yep. rightfully so. He's great. Yeah, that's true. So, but now this is the question we're going to talk about more um, from Jason Fry on Twitter. He said, people <laughs> people that we hate the most, two top five lists, U, U of M and non-U of M, which means the brand is strong. We are petty and we will stay petty. We will stay petty so we don't have to get petty. But we're going to phrase this as um, people we hope get coal from Santa and step on Legos in their bare feet. Correct. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to start with our non U of M people and we're going to do yeah. like a little, just like a little draft back and forth. Sarah's going to pick one. I'm going to pick one. And uh, then we'll do any honorable mentions and then we'll talk about people from the University of Michigan that we think should be on the naughty list. So, Sarah. That's, that's true. And the thing you have to know about me is I hold grudges um like nobody's business and so when I was thinking about this question I actually had more non U of M players that I had grievances against um because that's how I I do things um and the first one I'm going to go way back in the archives and this one I did not share with you Sarah Great. um and this may be pre your fandom I, was gonna say, was, I might not even know who this is 
You might, you might not. This was junior high. Sarah has been holding on to this grudge um, since the national championship game. And that is Teddy Dupay from Florida. He tripped, he tripped Mateen. Oh, he's the one that uh, Yes. So I have never forgiven him. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's the first uh, pick for me. I think that's totally valid. This is also a deep cut and it's also basketball related. Uh, not as deep as Teddy Dupay, but does go back. Uh, is JJ Redick? Yes. If you know, you know. Like, yeah. if you think that JJ Redick is just like some guy who comes off the bench and shoots threes in the NBA, educate yourself. Um, he also writes poetry. <laughs> he also writes poetry. Just when JJ Redick was in college, he was the most annoying. Yep. The most frustrating. There was a game Michigan State played them in the regular season in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and the man could not miss. Like, I don't know what his stat line was for that game, but he made about 100 threes. And I'm still mad about it. So there you go. That's true. Um, my next pick is going to be also outside the Big Ten, still basketball. Let me know if you want a football one. I also have that. Um, it's going to be Tyler Hansborough from North Carolina. I don't think I have to expand on that a whole lot, but the 2009 Final Four, um, well, the championship game when we got run out of the building, he is also a really irritating player to watch play, um, and so I would like him to step on a Lego. Great. I'll go for a football one, and I think you can agree with me on this. Uh, yes. It's Brady Quinn. Oh, yeah. Look, either you were at the 2006 Notre Dame game or you weren't. Uh, Brady Quinn apparently is still traumatized by that game. He hates Michigan State. To this day, has spoken about how he hates their fans. And honestly, it's for that that he goes on this list. What a basic. That's correct. How many have we done? Four? Four. Do you want me to end with a football? Do whatever you want. We'll do a couple, like, honorable mentions at the end. So. Okay, I'll save save that one for an honorable mention. Um, I'm going to go... Into the Big Ten, because if we don't have this name on our list, what are we doing? Um, I'm going to go Brad Davison, and I've had enough of him. Um, And I think everyone in the Big Ten, and I think even if you ask some Wisconsin fans, they would agree with you um, that we've had enough of him. We said it the last time we were on, get a job. (laughs) Goodbye. It's true. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple, another Big Ten, uh, Taylor Battle. I had him, too. Yes. I didn't have to endure that trauma. Thank you. No. <laughs> um, Jared Abraderis, former receiver for Wisconsin, just a pain in the ass for years. Yeah. A, a lot of Wisconsin on, on my list. And I was going to say Russell Wilson. He knows what he did. He does. <laughs> and then lastly for me, Grayson Allen. Unpleasant. Oh, yeah, the last one for me is going to be Giddy Potts. I was told not to put him on the list, but he hurt me, um, and so I will put him on the list. I, I didn't tell you not to put him on the list. That's true. I considered him, and I decided I wasn't mad at him. Another person we did mention, though, uh, Aaron Kraft. Yes. Aaron Kraft, yeah. because, mm-hmm. again, just, just someone who just annoyed the hell out of me forever. Yeah. Eternity. And then he That's true. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, and now to... U of M players that should receive coal. Uh, Sarah, you go ahead and kick us off. Oh, my God. I don't know how to pick. Okay, I do know how to pick from this list. Number one with a bullet, Taylor Lewan. Yes. Why are you like this? Why are you like this? You deserve it. You deserve deserve every ounce of pain you had this year. Um, He's the epitome of why they're terrible, in my opinion. 
Um, my number one is going to be Xavier Simpson. Even though he is Cassius Winston's son, um, he still deserves to be on this list, in my opinion. My favorite thing about Xavier Simpson is his name was spelled with an X, and then like midway through college, he just decided to change it to a Z. Sure. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't know either, and I'm not going to research. I'm just going to add it to the list. I don't, I don't, I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um, another person who has dealt me more trauma than I deserve, Mario Manningham. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's just a personal, I had to endure a game that brought me a lot of misery, and I didn't enjoy it, so. That's fair. Um, I'm going to throw John Teske on the list. Ooh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, sorry. No, nobody can see me pantomiming shooting a bow and arrow, which is like, <laughs> don't ask, did it all the time. Um, I think I'm going to go someone from that same team, which was very hateable. Mm-hmm. I think he was on this team. And that is uh, the Death Eater himself, Iggy Brazdakis. <laughs> Truly, uh, there's a lot of reasons to dislike him, but, like, for me, number one is his stupid Death Eater tattoo. Like, buddy. Yeah. That's not the good side. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah doesn't know anything about Harry Potter, so this is lost on no. her. But for those of you in the listening audience... That's true. Um, I think honorable mention, um, I'm going to go Mo Wagner. Valid. Yeah. And I'm also going to go a football deep cut, Chad Henney. Chad Henney also on my list. Yeah, that's correct. That's Mario Manningham era. Uh, I've also got Mike Hart. How could we forget? Uh, how could you forget? Sir. Nick Stauskas. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chase Winovich. He's just sort of Taylor Lewan light, but. Correct. You deserve it. And last but not least, Jalen Rose, I don't, this man continues to annoy me. He hasn't been in college for like a hundred years, and yet he is out here irritating me with his basketball takes all the damn time. I support you, and I think that's a good one to (laughs) wrap it up on. (laughs) So, yeah, that's going to do it for us for this year. It was great to be on twice this year. Uh, Gave us us some stuff to talk about. it's fun every time. Um, thanks for listening to our, our nonsense. Thank you to John and Austin um, for letting us do this holiday spectacular again. Um, I hope everybody has a safe holiday season. Stay safe, stay healthy, um, and hopefully we get a couple of Michigan State wins to end out the year. Yeah. Uh, John and Austin will be back next week. Until then, this has been Sarah for Sarah. We'll talk to you guys later. See ya.